7.03 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Peter Galindo from Sportsnet is going to join us for a little footy chat here in a minute. Hour two brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Pow! We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Let's go to the phone lines. We are joined by our good friend Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer analyst here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing better than the Canadian Soccer Association, or just Canada Soccer, as I suppose it is now known as. This has been a week, and it culminated with yesterday at the uh, She Believes Cup. Now, this is a tournament featuring, among other national team programs, the United States and Canada. Very fierce rivalry. Uh, a lot of bad blood between the two, quite honestly, throughout the years, including the infamous uh, Olympic match from 2012. But yesterday, a show of solidarity between the two where the American players reached out and did a sort of like circle at the beginning of the match, standing arm in arm to show solidarity with this Canadian women's team, which is playing this tournament. Let's be honest here. Um, very distracted, very frustrated. And yesterday on the pitch in the 2-0 loss, it seemed as though like fatigue and exhaustion, both mental and physical, uh, was really front and center and on display for the Canadian women. Yeah, and I think that the best example of that was, I think, the few times in the first 30 to 35 minutes when Canada was trying to play out of the back through the U.S. press, and there was just like little movement on the ball. Like They just weren't mentally locked in, and, and it led to that mistake that led to the second goal. And, you know, look, it's a very difficult match to, to parse through because they're very clearly distracted on other things understandably right and and this whole thing has has really blown up into I think what a lot of I would say fans as well as the players kind of wanted to see and that maybe we'll finally start to get some some transparency here because that's been the crux of the issue here in, in terms of the whole you know if, if you look at the women's side trying to fight for equality you look at the men's side trying to figure out where all this money went because of the canadian soccer business deal and, and everything else we might finally get an answer who knows as early as next month about everything so i think the really important thing to note for the listeners here is that this is being presented as a equality and especially pay equality issue but I think the important thing to note here is that this goes way beyond that. And the women are trying to make this abundantly clear. Like, yes, wearing the symbolic purple with enough is enough on their shirts is very much about gender equality. But there is a bigger issue here just in terms of the organization they're dealing with. Because this is a women's program that, despite a real lack of funding and resources, got to the pinnacle of their sport. They won an Olympic gold medal. And then they came back from that and saw that the little funding and support that they already got was being hacked back even further without much explanation. So uh, I know now that the Canadian government is getting involved. For the listeners right now, they're trying to get caught up with this story, Peter. Can you give us an idea of where things are at with regards to government intervention? Because it sounds as though that's what's going to happen in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, so it, it's really now down to two things. Um, the, the House of Commons Heritage Committee, they, they've now invited 
the leadership of Canada Soccer to testify, which I believe is going to be in early March or at some point in March. Um, and they're going to discuss essentially allegations of the unequal treatment of the women's national team and also the um, the sexual abuse allegations of Bob Berarda and all that and, and the possible cover-up uh, involving that. So it, it's kind of a two-pronged approach here. And, and given what happened with Hockey Canada, I'm, I'm sure the government is, is paying pretty special attention to that particular topic. Um, so that's where it stands now. Nick Bontis is the president of the Federation. Earl Cochran is the general secretary. He's kind of been the one running point on the negotiations with the national teams regarding a new collective bargaining agreement, the split of the FIFA windfall money. And by Canadian law, you do actually have to pay the men's and women's national team players equally dollar for dollar from that FIFA prize pool. So, and I believe actually a year ago when Nick Bontis was on my podcast, he actually mentioned this. So I don't think it's a, it's a thing that Canada soccer wants to avoid just because they can't buy law, but I'm sure when the government sees these allegations over just, you know, unequal treatment from, for, for one gender to another, then they're going to be pretty, pretty much on high alert. Peter, is there any way out of that deal between Canada soccer and Canada soccer business? Because that seems to be underpinning so much of the frustrations here. Yeah, honestly, everything comes back to that. Um, Even if you go back to the initial signing of the deal or the motivation behind signing the deal, it was all contingent on the success of the men's team, right? And leading up towards 2026, the women didn't really factor into all of this, even the formation of a domestic league. (laughs) They only focused on the formation of the CPL. So you can kind of see maybe where all the frustration comes from, but I'm sure there's a way that it can be renegotiated if both sides want to, but from a CSB perspective, are they really going to want to do that unless their reputation is pretty much completely shot or they're, they're really on, you know, under the microscope Possibly, because we've already seen that they're investing a little bit more into Canadian soccer or Canada right. soccer specifically to to be able to fund um, all aspects of, of, of all these programs. But it, it would be very difficult to see them renegotiating it just because they do have a sweetheart deal. And let's be honest, outside of the likes of Rob Friend and Josh Simpson, former Canadian internationals, most of these owners aren't soccer guys, let alone Canadian soccer guys. Like they see this solely as a business and how can we mitigate our losses and make money out of this? And right now that deal is helping them at the very least mitigate their losses to be able to fund the CPL. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, a, a pretty important pipeline of, of the Canadian men's game at least. What did you think about the statement uh, from Canada's soccer business that was released a couple of days ago? For me, it was kind of like too long, didn't read. Um, so maybe you can help me out with that. Yeah, I, I think the 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 one thing that stood out to me was um, the fact that they mentioned that $100 million figure, which is just so vague and I think just so typical of this whole thing. Like, okay, fair enough. You've invested $100 million, but where is it going why is the financial report so bare bones? And I think this is something the government is, is going to be asking um, Canada Soccer itself, because think about it, if they're accepting government grants, whether that's own the podium, which is only supposed to go to uh, the women's program, um, if they're getting other government grants and, and, you know, obviously player registration fees and all this, 
well, where is that money actually going to? Because if you look at U.S. Soccer's financial report, it's much more thorough. They have managerial and executive wages listed there. They have office supply expenses listed on there. Canada Soccer's is just expenses, men's and women's national team, <laughs> other expenses, and then that's pretty much it. So like, I, I'm, I'm sure at the very least, we're, we're going to find out maybe in a way how much money Canadian soccer business is, is taking out Right. of the program and yeah. we kind of get an idea just because if you look at the commercial um revenues that canada soccer earned in 2021 on that financial report it's more than 18 million dollars and csb gets all of that so if you consider right. that if the three million dollars csb pays canada soccer comes out of that commercial revenue that means that they're missing out on at least 15 million dollars in commercial revenues every year and that, that probably increased in 2022 once the men qualify for the world cup officially so this just kind of goes to show you the the mess everybody's in we're talking soccer with peter galindo here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 let's get into some more entertaining and fun topics here alfonso davies newcastle united what do you make of those transfer rumors <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's interesting timing because we, we saw those Real Madrid links a couple months ago. And initially, at least I thought, look, Davies does have a deal that expires in 2025, I believe it is. Um, but chances are he's going to sign a new contract with Bayern. and he's a key starter. Since Joao Cancelo's come in, he's kind of been relegated to super sub in the second half. And to Davies' credit, he's done very well, assisted that goal for Kingsley Coleman against PSG, um, and has looked generally better since Cancelo's come in. But it is kind of fascinating that with two years left on his deal, with a deal supposedly not being dis- excuse me, discussed at the moment, um, and Newcastle clearly has the means to be able to pay for him, it's an intriguingly timed rumor. I'll, I'll definitely say that, but it would be fascinating to see him come to the Premier League, especially just given the, the marketability aspect. Who is more likely to go to England, Alfonso Davies or Jonathan David? Probably David at this point. It seems like he's pretty much set on going to England. He said it in interviews. Um, when you look at the fee that Lille want for him, Really, only English clubs are going to be able to pay that, I, I would imagine. Uh, Bayern, Munich, I suppose could, but I, I feel like they do have their eyes on other targets at the moment, and I'm not sure if tactically he'd fit into what they want to do as a number nine, whereas there are a couple of teams in the Premier League, namely Manchester United, who could use a striker. So I would imagine that just given his wage demands, the fact he wants to go to England, and the fee that Lille is going to ask for, I reckon that he's, it's almost a guarantee that he's going to go to England in the summer. Uh, Peter, we're up against it for time, but before we let you go, the Premier League title race, um, I'm not going to pat myself on the back. I am going to pat myself on the back. But I said at the beginning of the year that the City was too good, and no matter what Arsenal did, including getting out to an eight-point cushion, uh, they were going to eventually concede that title inevitably to City. Now, it's not done yet, but the last week and a half has sure really altered the course of action in England where that eight-point lead is now gone and City's atop the table. Granted, Arsenal's a game in hand. So is this more about City's dominance or an Arsenal collapse? I think it's both. And I think that game was a microcosm of it because I think now you're starting to see the lack of depth issue at Arsenal, right? Because you lose Thomas Partey for that game. Gabriel Jesus still isn't fit. And God bless Eddie Nketiah. He's done very well. But 
he missed a couple of really big chances, and Man City got a couple of really big chances in that game and pounced. And and that's the difference in, in execution that you see. And look, I mean, credit to Arsenal. They've done very well to to get to this stage. They progressed very well. Their linear progression looks good. But Man City, they have the depth. They have that, that mentality. Pep Guardiola a month ago came out and, and you know, kind of questioned their, their mental drive. And ever since then, they've just gone on, on a tear. And that just goes to show you the level they're on and, and why you really wouldn't count them out maybe spurring on now even more, especially with the depth they have and the fact that there are going to be games now every three to four days. I, I do think that Man City is now very much in the driver's seat here. Pete, you're the best. Thanks for doing this, bud. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, you guys too. Thank you. Thank you. Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, soccer analyst here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet. 650. Someone sent in a text. Why are sports associations so poorly run in Canada? Uh, <laughs> great question. I wish I had an answer. I know from this perspective with soccer, um, this has been a really small potatoes, old boys network, uh, pat yourselves on the back and, you know, connect your buddies. And it's been like that for so long because, quite honestly, nobody cared. Yeah. No one cared about Canadian the, soccer. The difference between what's happened at uh, Canada soccer and Hockey Canada, very different. Hockey Canada was almost like they just got arrogant and they yeah. got entitled. Like it, Hockey Canada, you could say that there was a cover-up. Canada soccer, they didn't even bother to do that. Everything was out in the open no for No one was looking. See. Right. And then when it came time to open up the books, they thought they could respond with a balance sheet that had like four numbers on it. <laughs> They're going, like we talked about this in the World Cup. Right? We Maybe that's about, all they actually kept track of. Yeah, like, well, we have uh, revenue with a question mark beside it, but they, this is what happened at the World Cup. And we used this analogy before. They got asked to sit at the adults' table, and then they acted like, I don't know, prepubescent teens? I'm not going to say children. Yeah. They didn't get demoted to the children's table. Mm-hmm. But you got asked to sit at the adults' table. because this, this is the biggest stage now. And then they came back home. And they had a lot more eyeballs on them than ever before. Because a lot of people that had never watched a soccer match in their life watched Canada the World Cup. And also there's the next World Cup, which we're hosting. So now all of these things translate to, okay, you're on a higher plane, you're a higher profile, you're making more money than ever before, you're going to have to answer to a higher power. And in this case, it's the Canadian government. So I for sure welcome this, even though it might end up crippling the Canadian Premier League. That's a different conversation. But... Um, it is, it's a needed step for an organization that has been a complete clown show for way too long. Okay, let's get back to the Canucks. Let's get back to the Canucks. And here's a question um, I'll throw out there. And I don't want this to be taken as unfair to Rick Tockett um, because I think he, he understands the modern, modern game. You know, he was an assistant coach on the Pittsburgh Penguins and won two Stanley Cups there like a few years ago. This is not the same as, you know, we were talking yesterday about Sean Payton uh, being the new coach in Denver and maybe bringing like Rex Ryan and and going like, do they have a time machine to when these guys were like relevant in, in the coaching world? Like that, that, that's, that would be unfair to Rick Tockett. But here's a question I do have, and I think this is more than fair. Um, how much does Rick Tockett's career and the way he played and the era in which he played influence how he sees the Vancouver Canucks? I think it matters a lot. Every time he references something, it's either to, and I said this off the top, uh, the current 
genre era of superstars. Mm -hmm. Crosby, McKinnon are the two most obvious ones. And then when he doesn't do that, he references back to his playing days where he also played with superstars, the best of the best, Stanley Cup winners, Hall of Famers. So I think what he's seen – here's the thing. If I could boil it down to one simple sentence. What he saw as a player, he then saw it as a coach in the same city, no less. He saw the greatness of Lemieux, played alongside of it in Pittsburgh. Then he saw the greatness of Crosby and coached it in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. So he's got the receipts for all of this where he knows that, yes, you need elite players. And, yes, you need super high-end skill. But you also need an inherent toughness that those guys had and and, and determination and drive and practice habits and all of it. Mm -hmm. So all he's really saying is, I've seen where the bar is at. And it's not just about skill, that you need a lot of toughness behind it because you're not going to win otherwise. And he's seen it in two different instances, one as a player, one as a coach. I think his comments on game management were really interesting. And let's play this right now. And and we've talked to and – and he mentioned this in his opening press conference, game management. And that just means, like, making decisions based on the state of the game. So if you're trailing in the game, how do you play? And more importantly, I think – uh, and more specific to these Vancouver Canucks, remember earlier in the year, if you have a lead, how are you going to play? Here's Rick talking on game management. It's a great question. It's hard to win. It's hard to play the right way. That's playing the right way. You know, not diving in, mm-hmm. being, on, being on top of somebody. You know, being on top of Panarin as you're coming as F3. And like I said, chip his body. Mm-hmm. If you're on the right side, make his tough a tough night. If you dive in on that guy, he goes around you, then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, you give Panarin and Zabanajak three on twos, they're going to convert eventually. So it's hard to be above. You know, I know yeah. people want to, and I, you know, obviously time and score, but sometimes we cheat a little bit, and I and, and I, I don't want to call them cheaters, but sometimes you got to be above, and I think mm-hmm. that's what good teams do. Uh, but it's hard to do. You know, we, yeah. we talked to players today on the – it's hard to, to practice that way, and it's hard to do it in a game. Yeah. Um, and you got to ma- game management is big for me too. And I think that's why the league is so, the skill level is is incredible. Like since we played, I mean, it's they're so much better than us skill level. But the game management hasn't caught up. I feel that that's why a lot of teams have given up two, three goal. Le- you know, back in the day, two goal lead, the game's yeah. over. Now people are coming back because the game management hasn't caught up to the right. skill level. I think. So that's his opinion. Some people will say that's old school thinking, and this is the way the league is now. It's more offensive, and even when you've got the lead, you continue to push because if you start playing passively, you're going to get picked apart. It's kind of like the football uh, comparison would be like if you go into a prevent defense and you do that too early, then you're going to get in trouble. It only prevents you from winning. But I do think the way the Canucks were protecting leads – I don't even think they were protecting the lead earlier in the season was like, they were just playing dumb hockey. Mm. You know, there, there, there's, there's a difference between sitting back and and then like playing recklessly with the puck. And, you know, we would, we would joke about like even shorty or batch or whoever was calling the game would be like, like, what are the Canucks doing? They got a two goal lead here, and there's there's a back pass at the blue line that goes back the other way. It was, it was just it was irresponsible, unpredictable type of hockey. But also repetitive was what got everybody. It's like I saw this mistake last game, yeah, and it cost them. But they would do it again and again and again. 
Do you think Tockett played in the toughest era in NHL history? I mean, you know, I if you're basing if you're basing it on penalty minutes and that's pretty tough. And that being a barometer. Yeah, the 70s were tough. When you think about the Broad Street bullies and, and the Boston Bruins of that that time. But if you're basing it on penalty minutes, and maybe that's the wrong way to do it, it was the late 80s into the early 90s was the toughest era, which was when Tockett played. I, I was going through some stats of, uh, of players that mm-hmm. played in Tockett's era. Like Tockett had 48 goals. And 252 penalty minutes in one year. Probert, who everyone remembers as an enforcer, and rightly so, he enforced. He had 29 goals one season and 398 penalty minutes. The joke is, where did he find the time to score all those goals? Because he was in the penalty box. There were, I, I found four players that had 50 goals and 200 penalty minutes. And they all played in the same era. It was Kevin Stevens, Keith Kachuk, Gary Roberts, and Brendan Shanahan. You know, as a kid, Wendell Clark was my favorite player. Yeah, like the way that guy played. He would score goals. He would hit. He would fight. Um, and and listen, I I'm not saying that the NHL is going to go back to this era because it's not. It's a long way from that era, and in a lot of ways, it, it, it's good. But my whole my whole reason for getting into this, I mean, it, you know, Kevin Stevens, Keith Kachuk, Gary Roberts, Brendan Shanahan, those guys played a, a certain way that is still relevant in the NHL today, and I think that's what Rick Tockett is getting at. Well, here's where when we kind of throw out this idea, my and again, historians. Come at me with straight facts, but my thought on the matter is in the 80s, in the era that you're talking about when you're asking was this the the toughest era. And early 90s. I think this is where we really saw the hybrid of the super tough guy that also had pretty good skill. Like the guys that you mentioned, Stevens, Kachuk, Roberts, Shanahan. Mm -hmm. The thing was is they could protect themselves. They were hard as hell to play against. They could fight, but they were also putting up 40 to 50 goals. And you used to have a very, very defined role where you had skill guy, tough guy. Now, that existed in the 80s and 90s, too. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, and I think it became this. And the the greatest example of this was when, remember when Eric Lindros burst onto the scene? Mm -hmm. Part of the reason he burst onto the scene was because it was, he was a skill guy. But he was also a beast physically. Right. And the two married together. And that's why he was this sort of revolutionary hockey player. Is that before, and even like Mario Lemieux was a big guy, but he wasn't a. He, he oh, wasn't, he was a powerful dude, though. Yeah, but he it was wasn't the same. Guy. He wouldn't. He, he would No, no, it wasn't the people. same as Lindros. He no. would, like, Lindros no. would go out and he would smash people, yeah. but then he'd score highlight real goals. But, what you're yes. saying, though, is there was a blurring of the lines in the 80s and 90s of, of the, the definition between the two roles, is what you're saying. So, as it pertains to what you're talking about with Talkit yeah. and what you're talking about, is that he maybe had so much influence of seeing the marriage of the skill game and the toughness mm-hmm. and realizing that both were. Uh, intertwined, but also one couldn't um, survive without the other. Like, you need both. You need to be a very complete hockey player in every sense of the word. And it's funny because I was watching – I finally got around to watching the Red Wings Avalanche at ESPN E60 that they did on the rivalry. Right. And it's funny because on the ice, at any given moment in those rivalries and in those series, there would be, I don't know, 10 Hall of Famers 
the best of the best, the most mm-hmm. skilled, the most elite guys, Forsberg, Fedorov, take your pick. But when they interview Brandon Shanahan, who's a Hall of Famer himself, at no point during the interview did Shanahan say that the goal or the way that they won was because they outskilled the Avs. Yeah. They went right to the marrow. They're like, this is about who's tougher and who's willing to sacrifice more. And that's just the reality of it. And that's not... That's o- still the case in hockey. Right. That is still the case. And that's not old school, and that's not caveman thinking. It's very much hyper-competitive. And at the end of the day, sometimes you look at someone, you're like, man, this... That's the best word for it, though. Competitive. But you look at across the table, not here. This does not apply whatsoever. But you're God, like, no. You look across the, the aisle, and you're like, damn... That guy's a really good hockey player. I got a lot of skill. I got a lot of talent. But that guy's got a lot of t- skill and a lot of talent. So how are we going to beat each other? Mm-hmm. And then what? It, come, it becomes very primal at that point, right? That's what it is. And oftentimes, toughness and violence, those are the things that escalate because you can keep pushing one another in a way that you, not only are you trying to assert your dominance, but you're also trying to flatten the opponent, right? And they, you can score a beauty goal on someone. You can dangle through someone. Yeah. But there's something different about working someone to the bone and down to the marrow. Anyway, we're getting yelled that, at to go that, to break. That, that is the smartest you've ever sounded. Aww. Aww. I, nice. I, I just I just stared at you while while I know. while you said that. I know. Was it uncomfortable? A little bit. That's why yeah. I, that's why my just... eyes are always like looking up at the television. Also because I'm addicted to television. Rough complimenting him like this is uncomfortable. Yeah, it's I like it though. It's <laughs> nice. We're you gonna guys go back to fighting each other. I don't yeah. I don't like this. No, yeah. This is weird. That was, that was, Mom that and was... dad are getting along. I don't <laughs> like it. It's weird and uncomfortable. Dad <laughs> is definitely having an affair. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna go to break. We're gonna sort out this very awkward dynamic, and we're gonna come back for more Halford and Ruff on Sportsnet six fifty. Get smarter when you listen to Hockey Talk, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thatcher Demko tweaked something at practice on Thursday. Everyone's hoping it's not the worst case scenario, but nobody seems to know yet for sure. Nothing was said. Not good. 7.35 on a Friday, Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Just on the Demco thing before we move on to some other NHL stories. Don't expect much of an update today. He's suffering from tankitis. From yeah, what they're saying. that's the official terminology. Tank-itis. That's medical. Yes. Uh, they're not practicing today. And I don't believe that the Canucks are doing media either. That being said, they could release a statement. But uh, right now, I would say don't expect Demko to play Saturday. There seems to be no real point. Uh, don't expect Oliver Ekman-Larsen to play Saturday. Sounds like he's out for sure. Yep. He underwent x-rays. And Curtis Lazar... Talkett did not have an update after practice yesterday. He said he's day-to-day and didn't say about his availability for Saturday. So just a little housekeeping there. All of that can be summed up with one sound. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That pretty much sums it up right there, guys. Let's look elsewhere in the National Hockey League. Where do you want to start? Well, I actually wanted to go to the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, sorry. Let's let's stay in Vancouver. I wanted to go into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, If you've got any questions or comments, what we learned, or ask us anything, 
Text in 650-650, Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you. In Ladner on Bridge Street, my favorite street. It has a bridge. I don't know if it does. No. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. It does this, have a bridge. Does it? It does, it? It? It okay. does have a bridge. Yeah. Lad- well, Lad- I would hope so. Confirm. It's called Bridge Street. Uh, unsigned text here. And I like this text. I think it's a good conversation starter. My issues with some media getting so excited over Talkit is he hasn't done anything yet. We are still allowing the second most goals and we are still losing badly. I have no issues with Talkit, but let's wait until November before we say he is our savior. If this team turns around next season, it will be more about who we got rid of and replaced them with than it will be coaching as this team is just bad. Okay. First of all, I'm not going to speak for anyone else in media, but I'll speak for myself. I don't expect Tockett to be the savior of this team. Right. I realize that much of it is going to fall on management to make the roster changes, and I think they're going to be up against it to improve this team into a playoff team as soon as next season. Mm -hmm. So November, I don't know how you came up with – well, I guess that's just the first few months of the season, and then you're you're judging Tockett. Okay. Why I am – I don't even know if excited is the word the word to use. Why I am encouraged by the things that Rick Tockett is saying is because they're the exact same things we've been saying on this show for a long, long time about this team. Yeah. And he is just publicly stating them. Mm-hmm. That this team is not smart enough. That this team is not hard enough to play against. That this team has a losing mentality. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. There, there, there seems to be like we, we got we got a bunch of other texts. You know, one from you know it was an unsigned text, and I'm just going to paraphrase it here. That Tockett wants to bring back the Canucks into the era that he played in, and he wants them to be. He wants them to play dead puck hockey, which I think is completely unfair. And the ones that I will agree on are the people that are texting in and saying like. What Tockett isn't saying, if that's not old school, it's the fundamentals of hockey. Yeah. Like, yes, skill is important. Of course it is. That's why Sidney Crosby wins Stanley Cups. He's tremendously skilled. That's why Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr win Stanley Cups. They're tremendously skilled. No one's advocating turning the Canucks into the old Broad Street bullies who, by the way, had some tremendously skilled players on them. And the Bruins back in the day, I heard Bobby Orr had some skill, right? But the fundamentals of hockey, at the end of the day, is winning battles. And whether you want to win those battles with speed or smarts, those are, those, those are options for sure. But you have to win the battles of, hey, I'm going to take this puck and I'm going to go to the net. And I'm going to go through you if I have to. Yeah. I think the important thing here, for whatever texters are texting in, suggesting that we're anointing Tockett as the savior, um, all, and this is, I'll speak for myself, but all I've said is that I, uh, I really appreciate the way that he puts something out there, has a very direct philosophy, and then is more than capable of backing it up with examples and facts and things like that. They're not nebulous ideas. I mean, one of the issues I always had with Torts was that he'd walk you just far enough down the road to what he wanted to get at, 
And then you were kind of left with, well, what does that mean mm-hmm. exactly? You throw around mindset in a very casual sort of way. And I know eventually it was some of the same tenets as um, talk it, like stopping on pucks. It's a start-stop league. Like, yeah. I, I get that. But with at least so far in the talk it regime, I find him engaging as a personality. Here's the flip side of that. None of it means Jack in the long term. Because at the end of the day, the only – and I hate to be as callous as I am going to be, but the only thing that matters with a head coach is whether they win or lose hockey games at the end of the day. It'll be great if they have good personalities or they're friendly with the media or they're, they're dicks to the media. Like The only thing that matters – coaches are at the end of the day, they are there to either win hockey games or lose hockey games. Now with Tockett, he gets a bit of a weird reprieve because for the rest of the season, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's great for him. He does not have to worry about winning, a, honestly, another hockey game. It's not his objective. His objective is to implement all the stuff that this management group wanted at the beginning of this season when they came out five games into the season and said our training camp stunk and we're not prepared to start the regular season. Tockett gets the back half of this year, regular season games, to try and teach the guys that he thinks are teachable and coach the guys he thinks are coachable, and more importantly, gets about 30 games to see guys and say, I like him, I can coach him, I don't like him, please move him along. Gordon Maple Ridge texts in, the scare is that he takes a racehorse like Kuzmenko and sucks the life out of him. Let the skill do what they do. Can't win if we don't score. I 1,000% disagree with you, Gord. I don't think it's a it's a uh, an either there, or proposition. There, one doesn't have to suffer yeah. for the either. I don't. I think you're way off. There, there, there are certain things that everyone has to be on board with. <laughs> Rick Tockett gets a lot of credit for his work with Phil Kessel, noted defensive stalwart <laughs> his, Phil Kessel. You know, I I don't. I, it, Kuzmenko is open to these ideas, guys. He's open to them. He he's he knows that he's coming into a league that is different than the league he played in. He's got a growth mindset. He wants to and Talkit has already said, like he wants you this is what he wants to do. He wants to learn. He wants to win. He wants to win. Like Gro- that growth that's mindset. what you want, guys. I like yeah, I like that. Don't I like that one. That was a good Gro- one. Growth, growth mindset. mindset. He wants to win. He's not gonna take his he's not gonna say, Oh, I'm going home like certain other like remember Jonathan Dolan? Like, oh, I'm going, you know, this is too hard. I'm going to go home. Like, that's the type of player you're like, fine, see you later. I don't want any part of that. If that's that's your attitude, get out of the organization Uh because we don't have time for that. But here's the thing. I'll play devil's advocate here. If If the offense goes in the tank and they're sputtering to score three goals a game and it resembles that Arizona Coyotes team that kind of clogged their way to a playoff round in the bubble, then Taka goes right back in the line of fire. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, he, it's all it's all ultimate. Like, like he's working on his process right now, and ultimately the results do have to come. You brought up Torts earlier, and I think we should compare um, Torts and Tockett because my issue we don't have to, but well, you get my, to see my, if they're okay. going to coach against each other on Saturday. Well, yeah. Well, Torts is in town, so my main issue with Torts when he came to Vancouver was well first of all I don't think his heart was in it but overall was the timing of the hire yeah the Canucks were a veteran team that had had a lot of success in the NHL 
So I think one of the things I kind of bristled at was when Torts talked about them, he acted like they were a young team that didn't know anything. Wrong time, wrong guy, wrong group. And while the Sedins maintain a good level of respect for John Tortorella, um, I thought when he came in there and he started talking about mindset, et cetera, I was kind of like, Torts, like these guys won President's Trophies two years ago. They were a te- they they were clinical winners yep. in the NHL. They came within one game of winning the Stanley Cup, and it seemed to me like Torts was almost talking down to them. Now, ultimately, what Torts had to say about the team was one thousand percent correct, and that was that the core is stale. It's not two thousand eleven anymore, and you have to move on. Right, but right? Had, but the problem was he had to coach that stale core. And he tried to do it the only way he knew how. Which, exactly. Yeah. Like, I think Torts, when he goes to a team, the best fit for him is a team that is in search of an identity with a bunch of young players. Like, I, I for example, I think he'd be way better suited to coaching the Canucks right now than he was yeah. back in the day because I think this group of Canucks, or I hope this group of Canucks, is like, God, thirsty for knowledge. Like, they want someone to lead them. They want someone to show them the way. Mm-hmm. The Canucks, remember, had that player group, that leadership group back in the day that was already well-established. Yeah. And, yes, it probably needed some changes to the group for sure. Like, it needed just it needed to be maybe reimagined a little bit, but I don't know if it needed to be completely made over. This Canucks group is essentially starting from scratch in terms of the leadership and the maturity of this group. Right, and that's partly, um, if you're an optimist, that's partly the exciting part, is that it really does feel like now, uh, for better or for worse, whether they'll sink or swim, Hughes and Patterson are the leaders of the team. I mean, that's one of the... Of, if there's any really significant takeaway from Tockett's nine games in charge, it's that. He name-checks them constantly. He does. He did it in the audio we played earlier. So there's that to consider. Now... <laughs> The tough part is, is the 21 other players not named Pedersen or Hughes because the rest of the roster isn't good. Well, that's the thing. I mean, someone texted in, and you know, I, don't, I, I, I find it hard to disagree with this. This team is so poorly constructed, it matters not what Tockett says or does. They need better players. Let's see if he's a good coach once he has the, a, a roster that isn't awful. My question is, is when will that be? Yeah. When is he going to have – a properly constructed roster where you have the players suited to their roles. So you've got your designated guys that are on the power play. You've got your defined top six. You've got your bottom six. Uh, You've got a defined top four defense. You got guys that can kill penalties. You know, you got checking lines. The Canucks are just, that's a problem. Like they're so poorly constructed. Think of the challenge for Rick Tockett and his coaching staff when he's trying to put together his list of penalty killers. No, I know. And it's and it becomes the thing where – we talked about this at the break. We may as well bring it up now because as we look around the league, where are you getting players from right now? You're, and if you're the Canucks and you want to do it in a hurry, meaning let's say two years, you got to look at uh, free agency, which is always a tough go because you're overpaying for guys that are closer to 30 than they are to 20. Or you start looking for trades. Who most often – is your trade partner. Teams that are looking to get rid of their old core because it's not working. Mostly. And right now, that's 
the Philadelphia's of the world, maybe the Nashville's of the world. I would say the Chicago's and the Arizona's, but their rosters have almost already been picked clean. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing left unless you want old guys at the end of their rope or young guys that don't look like they have one. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very difficult and honestly dangerous scenario because you start talking yourselves into, well, we could get Matthias Eckholm maybe. He'll help the defense. Yeah, but for how long? He's 32 years old. And you really start to get into some dicey situations. Mm-hmm. There is a glimmer of hope, and it's when something happens that just comes out of nowhere or you didn't predict it to happen. Because remember, fundamentally important players have moved in the last little bit. Jack Eichel got traded. Matthew Kachuk got traded. Sometimes situations bubble up where you get someone or a development happens that just pure luck for nothing. You win the draft lottery. No better term. Yeah, it just happens to you and you you pull a horseshoe and you didn't necessarily deserve it, but you get it. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing is, and again, I don't want to pile on the Canucks problems too much, but they're not even in a position to take advantage of those situations. Let's say who's a really great young player, Jason Robertson in Dallas. Right. Let's say he gets pissed off. He's like, I want out of Dallas. I don't like playing here anymore. I want to trade. I request I've, I, a trade. I, I've heard he does. Right. We're starting that rumor now. 7.50 on a Friday, so we can get out of here an hour and let that kaboom. Thanks right. to Tom Gillardi for joining our show a couple days ago. That was a one-off. <laughs> he ain't coming back. <laughs> anyway. So let's say. Let's say hypothetically Jason Robertson wants out of Dallas. You have to be in a position to offer up a bunch of stuff to get him, mm-hmm. the cap space to afford him, and I can't either of those things. Yeah. They don't have enough prospects. Or what are you going to dangle? Atu Ratu and the fir- you just got him for one. And mm-hmm. two, he moves right to the top of your prospect pool. So if you trade him away. The big three. There you go, he's gone. Right? Remember the big three? Yeah. Cap, what are the big three? Cap space, you need it. You don't have it. Uh, prospects, you want them. You don't have them. I can't remember the third one. Well, the was. third one is the team right now. The team, right. That's The, the team right now team. is yeah. not good. Product on the ice. Should be good. Not so good. So other teams have been able to pounce on these opportunities. Vegas, because they were an expansion team and they made a point of going after every big trade asset that was out there. Mm -hmm. They had the capital and the space and the the prospects to do it. But there are other teams that try and position themselves for these situations arising. The Canucks are not one of them. Stephen East Fan texts in, here's a question. Has Tockett ever been a winning coach? Yeah, when he was an assistant coach with Pittsburgh, he won two Stanley Cups. Now his head coaching record isn't great. But it's it, the, the, the his assistant coaching were, record is very good. But here's the thing. Like are you is no one willing to give him uh, um not a pass, but understand the situation he was in? Tampa Bay was a disaster when he was a head coach. They had all sorts of issues they were bad. internally. Arizona. What what are we expecting to do with an Arizona Coyotes team that had no talent? But again, we're not um, anointing him the savior. All we're saying is we like the body of work so far. It's been ten. We years. like what he's saying. <laughs> Don't we like what yeah. he's saying? I'll, I'll go on the record. Yeah, yeah. I'll go on the record. I like what he's saying. Yeah. It's what I've been saying on this show, and more aggressively off the air, is yeah. that this team is soft. Yeah. But and this team has lessons to learn. This team is irresponsible. This team plays dumb hockey. That's what he's say- that's what he's essentially saying. And I'm like, thank you. But if they turn it around and they play hard hockey and they get hard and they play really hard and they don't win enough, well, we'll be right back where we started. <laughs> they need to, they need to somehow get to the next level. That's all it is, right? Talkit has a really 
from his vantage point, cool opportunity here because he's not in the business of winning hockey games right now. Right. But that's not going to be for long. That's not going to be for long. It's funny how polarizing it is in the inbox, though. And I'm not saying this represents all of Canucks Nation, but it seems that people either really love what Tockett's saying or they really hate what he's saying. Funny, yeah. funny that, It doesn't that, seem eh? to be a middle ground at all. It's like one or the other. It's fu- funny that, that that would come from a Canucks fan base that's been torn on literally every issue <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> over the last 10 years. I mean, yeah, it's... It, now let's do Frank Corrado. Yeah, you know, can we can we go back? Do we want to do the Goldie Wars again? I don't, yeah. you know, any Well, the big issue is is like people find the concept of changing one's mind or altering course, um, like you've betrayed your previous self. Mm-hmm. That's why people like dunking on people with receipts. It's a pastime for a lot of people. Look I, what I, I love got. our I love our text inbox. By the way, <laughs> here's one: Do a scenario where we need defensemen. We don't need Robertson. You, you're missing the point. I think he missed the point. Okay, Adam Fox from the Rangers. Let's say Adam Fox. Like you know what? I wanted to play here, but now I don't. It's just the. Okay. Also, to say we we don't need Robertson is hilarious. He's I a don't. Great I don't. You know, I'll, I'll pander him. to the lowest common denominator here. His name is Adam Fox. He won a Norris Trophy in New York, but he's like, you know what? Jacob Truba is getting all the headlines because he mashes people, and Keandre Miller is an up and coming young defenseman. He's going to eat into my ice time. I don't want to be here anymore. Adam Fox, Norris Trophy winning defenseman, decides I'd like to move on. I'd like to go somewhere else. Someone texted in, but boys, you gave Bruce no slack for the terrible situation he was in. Yes, we did. I can't answer we, every. We, I can't do this. We ripped. We ripped the roster every day. That's that guy. But do I think We're that is that guy? That's that guy. But do I think that Bruce Boudreaux was a good head coach for the Canucks? No, I don't think they were very well coached. We I, had this. We had this conversation yeah. actually. Halford, you stuck up for Bruce Boudreaux at the time. I liked him. He was great. I thought he was a good coach. I didn't uh, because there were so many things that the Canucks did wrong that were just like, like he can't be doing a good job with this team. This is one particular texter though, like, and and he's good. But there's a lot of people out there that 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 feel the same way that they still have a loyalty to Bruce Boudreaux, and I think that's not a lot of people that are accusing us of not giving him any slack. We did. I think. I mean, I don't know what to say. This is almost borderline gaslighting. Like you can't tell us something that we did and didn't do. I think we were pretty we're pretty accurate on most of these things. We're very we're realists. We're very pretty pragmatic when it comes to all these situations. We're not doing this hyperbolically so we can get clicks or sell newspapers or whatever the hell you want to throw out there. But I, I think we understood that Boudreaux was in a crappy situation and he also didn't do a good job. Is that fair to say? And I think we laid yeah. that out multiple times. Both things can be true at the same time. No, he was, he was treated not one unf- or the other. He no. was treated unfairly the way it was drawn out. In the way he was not publicly supported by his management group, but the team he he coached looked like a poorly coached team. You either have to be a Gillis guy or a Benning guy. There's no Gabilling guy, okay? There's you no neither. To, you have to be one or the other. That's how it works. That's how the internet works. That's how Canucks Twitter works. Andy's shaking his head. It's just I'm so tired. <laughs> It's been so long. <laughs> one final hour to go. <laughs> last come. 10 years of my life. It's just it has been one a long, long blur. It, uh, it has. Yeah. It has. When will it, really it end? Has. God, I, I listened to that clip over and over yesterday. I was like, God, that was a little aggressive. But you know what I was thinking at the time? Like, Batch was, you know, I'd, I just, I had no questions for Batch because I was just kind of like, 
Yeah, it's the Flyers in town on Saturday. Like, I, I don't know. Well, I, and you, know, you were so close to getting Demko back too, and it's yeah. just like, oh, Delia's get another start. I do respect Ugh. that the texter. I was like, did 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 Tockett say anything interesting? I guess, <laughs> I guess Batch. I do respect that the texter who said about my Jason Robertson analogy wasn't right because we needed a defenseman is now taking issue with Adam Fox because he's a point producing defenseman. I respect the hustle. That's and what this funny, guy though. is doing. Okay. He's joking with him. No, I know that's great. It's really good. Okay, we got to go. Uh, final hour of the program. Chris Faber is going to join us, assuming his alarm clock has worked. Is this going to be a bunch of heavy sighing, no actual questions, just sighing back and forth at each other? <laughs> the, the sonic landscape that is sighing into the, your AM radio dial? Ruffle okay. do some wind, wind sound oh, effects. Oh, yeah, you could do the wind sound effect again. No, we're going to talk to Faber about the Big Canucks and the Baby Canucks. There it is. <laughs> He's doing that live, by the way. If you're on the stream, you can see it. How does that sound so good? It is pretty impressive. It's awesome. Uh, tune in for Every, that. Everyone's and, got a skill. Yeah, I should you, be on Police Academy. <laughs> stay tuned for that and more. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh.